Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Uh, how are you guys? <laughs> I'm telling you, you're, you're doing better than you know. You really, that's what this life is, is discovering just how good we really are doing as born-again people, as sons, as daughters. Like, it's, it's not this living in fear and wondering when the shoe's going to fall, when the hammer's going to drop. It's this life of experiencing Him and discovering the fullness of the salvation for which we were saved. Yeah. He's, it's not just like, oh yeah, um, well, I prayed a prayer, so now I know that for eternity I'll be good, but here in the meantime... I'm just struggling to get by and I'm really worried about what's going to happen next. It's like I have this expectation that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living because He's a good Father, because it's His heart for us. I remember declaring that at the beginning of the year. I said, like, we will see. I mean, every year you could say it, right? But this was the first year I felt strongly just to declare that over our family, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That I would have dismayed. Like, in other words, it's not because my circumstances are perfect. It's not because I look around and everything's rosy. It's because I expect to see His goodness because I know Him and I know His promises over my life. I would have dismayed had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The things I see with my eyes would lead me one way, but His heart leads me another. And so my expectation is in Him. My faith is in Him. My hope and my trust is in Him. Every day you're putting your faith in something. You know, if you, It's like... You're going to put your faith and your expectation in something. Might as well make it in good things. Might as well make it in the best things. Might as well have an expectation of good. Like the Bible says, who by worrying can add a single day to your life, right? What he's saying is like, what good does it do you to worry? Like think about like, like, like worry. It's, it's just constantly in the back of your mind. And like everything you do in the course of a day, it seems to infect If you know how to worry, then you know how to pray without ceasing. You know how to walk aware of His presence and how to be conscious of Him. It's the exact same thing, but the expectation is of Him and of goodness rather than of doom and of gloom. That's the only difference. It's just it constantly is in the back of your mind and it invades every thought. It goes with you into every activity and it changes the way you see everything. And you can put your faith in the wrong thing. You can put your faith in the one thing. It's your choice. I can't make it for you. Like, it's your choice. Why not go with Him? Like, I always, I talk to people because sometimes they're like, man, if, if you want to feel better about something, just call Roy. Like, because it doesn't even matter what the situation is. He'll just be like, oh, no, that's going to be fine. It'll be good. Like, I have full expectation of that. My little brother says that. He'll call me up and he'll tell me something that's going on and he'll tell me what could happen, the outcomes. And I'm like, oh, dude, that's going to be fine. It'll be great. And I really mean that. And I'm not just like trying to make him feel better and pump the touch. I really believe if he's seeking the Lord, that even if the outcome isn't the outcome he thinks he wants in the moment, that it will be great. And that one day he'll look back and be thankful for the outcome, even if in the moment it wasn't the one that he was wanting, expecting, or praying for. Why? Because he's good. And if I'm in him and I'm following him, it's his goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of life. I'm not chasing after goodness and mercy. I'm chasing him and his goodness and mercy chases me. And that's an old covenant revelation David had. He would have loved to have what we have. He would have loved to be able to be born again, a new creation filled with the Spirit of the living God. 
and to have what we have. And yet he understood some things that I feel like we, we've, we have missed sometimes in, the, in, in the, even in New Covenant understanding of like, you know, we talked about today, Hannah was singing, where could I go to hide from your presence? David in the Old Covenant understood the presence of God pursues me. It's not this mythical, ethereal, hard to figure out, like, man, I'm just, just, just pursuing the presence of God, brother. And it's like, no, listen. Like, just relax and understand that His presence actually pursued you and found you. And if you would just focus your mind and set your eyes on Him, you would understand His presence is always with you because He promised He'd never leave you. He'd never forsake you. And His name is faithful and true. You need to understand that. It's like, you also, we have to understand this. And I felt this really strongly for somebody before I get started in the message, if I get to it. But if we look at, like, I have it, I promise. I did my pastorly duties and prepared. No. You guys, someone was like, hey, can you show me how you prepare for a message? And I told them, I said, most messages I preach are months, sometimes weeks of just stewing on something, chewing on something, talking something through, wrestling something through, and seeing something in my life. And then it's like I reach a place where it's something I can share with everybody. I don't sit down with my Bible and re- look, read through it with sweat dripping down my forehead going, please God, you have to give me something. I believe if I'm walking with Him, I'll always have everything that I need for every good work that He appoints me to do. And if I ever get here one day and there's nothing for me to share, it's because somebody else has something and I'll gladly step aside and say, hey, today I have nothing, so that means one of you guys must. That day might come, so be reading your Bibles. <laughs> No, seriously, be walking with him so that you always have a word in and out of season. Right? It's like if, if we go to him when we need something only, then we've, we, we've changed him to a Coke dispenser. Like he sits over there in the corner and every now and then when I need something, I go find him and I try to put the right thing in the slot to make what I want come out. And it's like, man, he's not a slot machine. He's a father. He's not a formula to be figured out. He's a father to be loved by. He wants to love you. He wants to walk with you, talk with you, know you. To a point where you always have more than enough. You have everything that you need. All things pertain to life and godliness have been freely given to you by the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's in your Bible. All things. Original language. All things means all things. Everything. There's nothing that you lack. The only thing that we lack sometimes is understanding. His people perish for a lack of knowledge. Sometimes there's things we don't know. That doesn't mean we don't have them. We just don't know that we do. And so we live as those who don't. And we sell ourselves short and we settle for less than what Jesus Christ died on a cross for us to have because we're not walking in the full understanding of what it is to be a son, to be a daughter. It's okay to laugh in church, I promise you. The fact that you can laugh means that you have a God who laughs because you're created in His image and in His likeness. Just make sure you're laughing at the right things, like when I'm really funny. Because seriously, what you're entertained by says a lot about what's going on inside of you. Don't write off things that Jesus gave his life on a cross for you to be free from in the name of entertainment and allow yourself to let things come in that you're going to have to renew your mind against one day. There's enough junk in the world that you're going to have to have your mind washed by the water of his word that you just absorb through living in the world. Don't you dare choose to put something willfully in that you're going to have to go and get your mind renewed against down the road. What a waste of time. There's no life in it. There's no life in it. 
And we laugh it off and we say, well, it's just entertainment. No, listen, you're opening yourself up. You're watching something. You're listening to something. You're allowing something in that one day God's going to uproot and take out. Why not just not let it in to begin with? You know what I'm saying? Like, think about it. It's like you could spend that time that you have to spend asking God to renew your mind actually walking in something new rather than getting rid of something old. What a waste of time. And I went over real big. <laughs> um, I know. I know. It's sometimes like when you say something up here and you look out and everyone's like, like you're, <laughs> you're like they're looking at the cops, you know? You wonder if it's like, if they're thinking about the person next to them, they're thinking about themselves or... All right, so open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. Now, I want to talk about something that's been kind of, it's been brewing me for a while, and, and um, it's this issue of honor. And for a while, I think that we, have, the church has these buzzwords that kind of circulate through the church. And if you pay attention, you'll kind of hear the same themes kind of circulating through the church. So you'll hear the, the, the theme of grace, which is an awesome thing, right? And it's the foundation of the fact that we can be born again and all that's God's grace. And, but that was like, you know, if there was a time where it was like, that was all anyone, the, the G word was the only word everyone knew. For a while it was community. Everybody was looking for community, you know? And we had this big idea of what community looked like. And we want to get back to this. And we want to do that. And we want to do that. And there's nothing wrong with these things. They're great things of, in and of themselves. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we just got to get caught up in kind of chasing after the new thing. And I feel like honor was one of those things that for a while, it's like everywhere you went, people were talking about a culture of honor. Danny Silk wrote a book, and, and it was like everywhere you went. But I feel like every time that happens, I feel like it's the Holy Spirit, it's God himself breathing something into the church. He's speaking the same thing to people all over the place. So it's an awesome thing that people are speaking the same thing. But I think the longer it goes, the more the enemy comes in and tries to pervert it and distort it and make what was supposed to be a good thing into something more than it was ever supposed to be, and it becomes a negative thing. So this whole thing of honor somehow morphed its way into a lot of times into flattery, right? Because honor is birthed in love, flattery is birthed in agenda. The person who's flattering you wants something from you. That's not honor, that's manipulation. Wow, you're awesome. You're amazing, you're blah, 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 and they're just building you up and it's like, oh, this is good. And then all of a sudden here comes the little hook inside the cake. I was wondering if you could... I was wondering if you would. Hey, what do you think about, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the first time you've ever approached me and said all these things to me about how awesome I was was the first time you asked me for something. Is there maybe a relation between the two? And so I want to talk about honor because there is something that, that um, I said this a few weeks ago. I was talking about, um, I was asking people to be here on time. And I actually kind of scolded the church a little bit in a loving, fatherly, Jesus-type way. And I said, if we can show up 25 minutes early when we have a guest here, we should be able to show up on time to receive from the worship team that spends their time during the week and gives themselves to practicing and being ready and so that we're actually here for everything. And I, and I said that just, just because, honestly, I'd really like to be able to start on time because we have guests that get here. You can tell who's new. It's usually the people that are here four minutes early. It's like, oh, you've never been here before. We've been starting on time, and you guys have been doing better at getting here on time. But, but I, I went home, and I just, that thing was rolling around in me, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, and, and, and please don't take anything I'm saying today like in a, in a condemning way, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there's some conviction, and I feel like it's healthy. Um, and, I, and I went home, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, 
It really is an issue of honor. Like, it's really an issue of honoring what the people carry and, and what they've done and their sacrifice and the time that they've spent to actually, and I know things happen, you know, you were running out the door and your kid puked on himself, you had to turn around and go back home. I get that. But is it really important for us? Like, like is it seriously important? Do we want to honor the time that, the, that people have spent preparing and having something ready so much so that we say, I want to be there before they start because I don't want to miss anything that they have. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he was talking to them about this very thing, right? And he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 41, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And, I, and, and so these, I, th- that verse was just kind of rolling around in my head, and I saw something I'd never seen before. Maybe it's old news to a lot of people, but it said he receives a prophet reward. And I realized this. The reward is the prophets. It's not like there's this thing that's called a prophet's reward, like this generic thing in, in heaven called a prophet's reward, and it's the same for, like, like the prophet's reward is a Snickers bar. And so if you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a Snickers. I don't believe that's what it is. I think that there's a deeper principle to that that he's saying, and what he's saying is he's saying, listen, they carry something. They have a reward inside of them. And when you honor them for who they are and you receive them the way that they are and you receive what they have and you honor them, you actually receive the reward that they carry. What's the reward that they carry? Well, we know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So what if there's something that is inside of every person who's diligently seeking after God that is their reward for diligently seeking? And what if maybe it's impossible for you to spend the time that that person spent diligently seeking the Lord in that area, but you can actually receive a portion of what they carry by honoring and and seeing them and receiving them for who they are and placing the honor on them that they deserve? And I thought, and listen, this is something that came to my head, and again, it's not, I thought, how many times has Brandon, has Zach, has Patty, has Annie, has Mindy, has Blake left here with a song in their heart? And it's theirs. They have their reward. But how many times have they left here with something inside of them that God didn't release them to give because there was a lack of honor shown? Or how many times have only certain people received what they carried and the reward, it fell on some and it didn't fall on others because there was a lack of honor for what they carried. I know that's being real straightforward. And I know that you're, you know, you're supposed to talk about hypotheticals and let the point fall on people, but sometimes it's just better just to be direct because that's what God said to me. How many times did people from the worship team, and this isn't just about being here on time, but this is a principle that I believe applies to a lot of things in our lives. He said, how many times did people leave here and miss out on what they carried in their hearts because of the lack of honor that was shown, because they didn't receive them, and because they became common to them? So he says, if you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you would receive a prophet's reward. In other words, if you honor somebody for who they are and who God's made them to be, you get to share in the reward that they carry that's hidden inside of them. And it would really be impossible for every one of us to go after the Father in every area equally. It would be impossible for me to spend the time 
that Hannah spends singing and writing songs and do the things that God's called me to do. It'd be impossible. I joke sometimes that God doesn't want me to play guitar because I've, I've owned, I think I've gone through the cycle three times where I get this idea, I'm going to play guitar. And I have this vision in my head of what it's going to be like. And it's awesome. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to play guitar. I'm going to do this. I research because that's one of the fun parts about deciding you're going to start doing something is doing the research to figure out what you're going to buy. You know, so I'm like, all right, go on Google, all-knowing Google, right? It's like, best guitar under three, $200. Because I'm not quite convinced yet, you know. I'm $200 convinced, but not three. And because I know me. And I get this guitar, and I get a YouTube video of how to play simple chords, and I lock myself into my room or downstairs or in the living room at, to the family's delight, and I decide that I'm going to learn to play guitar. They're just so stoked, you know, you can tell. You can see it on their faces. And so I grab the guitar, and I start strumming. And it's making sounds I've never heard a guitar make, and not in a good way. Seriously. Like when someone walks in and says, I didn't know a guitar could sound like that. That's a good thing. When someone says, I didn't know a guitar could sound like that. That's not a good thing. And I get the latter. I want to believe that it's like, wow, I didn't know a guitar could sound like that. But it's not. It's disgust. And I will play it faithfully until I have annoyed myself. And then I'm like, God doesn't want me to play guitar. And I sell it or give it away. And then a little while later, the dream returns. And I have this vision again, and I, best guitar under two, $100. Because now I really know me. And, I, and the cycle repeats. But, and I've said, like, I, I don't know that God wants me to play guitar, but, but in thinking about that, I honestly believe maybe there's some truth to that, that he hasn't gifted me with that and graced me with that because it's not something he wants me to spend my time pursuing because there are things he wants me to spend my time pursuing and let other people pursue those things. And all I have to do is honor, receive, and see them for who God created them to be and what he's put inside of them, and I can actually receive part of their reward. And then I can, if they'll receive me for who I am and what I carry, I can share in the reward for me seeking him in other ways. Why? Because Jesus said it. If you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. You get to share in what they've been rewarded with by the Father simply by honoring them and receiving them the way that they are. Well, that's amazing. What an awesome thing. Like, how awesome to be part of a family of God where everybody's going after Him and everybody going after Him looks a little bit different, but everybody can receive and share. Everybody can share with each other. There's so much hidden inside of each other, and a lot of times it's just a lack of honor that keeps us from actually receiving the things that people, God has placed inside of people. Listen, not, not that you do it for that, right? Like, that's the tension we live in in the kingdom. Like, it says, give and it shall be given unto you, but we don't give so that we, it's given unto us. But yet that promise is there. And to act like I don't know that promise is there is lying. But it's not my motivation for giving. It's God as I get to know you. God as I come close to you. God as you speak to me. As you bless me. As I see who you are. I believe you. I take you your word God. I just want to give back to you. It's in my heart to be generous. Because I'm becoming like you. And you're generous. You gave. So I'm becoming a giver because I'm becoming like you. Not because I have a new investment plan. 
It, it, giving to the church is not an investment plan. Giving to people is not an investment plan. I don't give so that I get, but I would be lying if I said that I didn't know that the promise is there, that if I give, it shall be given unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken near, shall men place into your bosom. And it's the same thing with honor. We don't, we don't honor people so that we receive from them. We should honor them because our heart is becoming like His. Because we're actually seeing them for who they really are and who God created them to be. And because we believe that if we see them that way and we speak to them and treat them that way, eventually they'll see them that way. Thomas Edison went to school. And they sent him home with a note for his mom. And he gave the note to his mom. His mom opened up the note. And she read the letter to him, and it said, Mrs. Edison, we feel that maybe, was it Edison? Yeah? Okay. I saw you whispering, Jeff. I wasn't sure if I had the wrong name. Um, I'm like, I'm like God when I'm up here, man. I see everything. I don't think I don't. Anyways, um, so they sent him home with this note. He gave it to his mom. His mom opened the, pa- the package the note was in. She read the letter to him, and the letter said, Dear Mrs. Edison, Your son is far too brilliant for us to teach him, and we feel it would be best for you to teach him at home. Huh? Bonnie. Are you kidding me? No one probably tells jokes in front of you. No, it's really a grape! It's like... So she reads it to him. I'm just pushing ahead now. No, but he really comes back in the end. He's not dead. Thanks, Bonnie. So it says, Dear Mrs. Edison, we feel that your son is far too brilliant for us to teach him, and we think it would be best if you would teach him at home. We are not equipped to handle a child of his intelligence. Something along those lines. And she taught him at home, and he was brilliant. Thomas Edison turned out to to be one of the most brilliant minds the world's ever seen. And then when his mom died, he was going through her stuff, and he came across the letter from the school. And he opened it up, and he read it. And he said, Dear Mrs. Edison, your son is far too unintelligent for our school. Our teachers are not equipped to teach someone like him. He doesn't have basic understanding And we feel it's best if he spent his time at home learning something useful. See, she believed that if she would see her son for who she knew him to be and would treat him as though that's who he really was, that's who he would become. It wasn't a flattery thing. It was simply believing there was something more inside of him than everybody saw and not judging him based on the description of one, but judging him based on the description of the one who created him and saying, God did not create him to be a failure. That's what true honor is. It's the ability to see somebody and believe the best about them, even if you've known them at their worst. So Jesus goes into his hometown and he's getting ready to to do what Jesus does. Everywhere he went, they brought him all their sick. He healed them all. They brought the demon possessed. He set them free. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. And people's lives were changed. And yet when he goes into his hometown, the very people who know him 
listen to him speak, and they're astonished at the words that he uses, and they're astonished at the brilliance that he has. But then this line comes out of their mouth, but wait a minute, isn't he just? And they reduce him down to something familiar, the carpenter's son. Aren't his brothers here? Aren't his sisters here? Isn't he just Jesus, the boy we know from the hometown? And it says, he could do no mighty miracle among them except to lay his hands on a few sick, and they recovered. If a lack of honor and a lack of ability to receive Jesus for who he truly was could stop Jesus from being who God created him to be for those people, then I promise you it can do it for the people around us. Here's the thing. It didn't harm Jesus. He still had everything the Father placed in him. He went to the next town and everything that he did before happened again. And those people received. The only person that it harmed by not honoring him for who he was were the people that didn't honor him for who he was. It didn't affect Jesus one bit. Why? He carried his reward. It was his reward. He could share it, but it was still his. And people not receiving it didn't change that in his life. So, I was thinking about, like, what causes, like, the breakdown in honor? And, uh, and so, how much time? Oh, yeah, plenty of time. Um, I heard Bill Johnson speak a great message recently on a lack of honor. He was talking about in the area of healing, but that message is awesome. If you go to Bethel's podcast, you can, you can hear it. And, and it, it, he talks about a bunch of different stuff that I'm not going to talk about today. Um, and he talked about familiarity. But, but, some, but I was thinking about that issue of familiarity, and I was thinking, like, sometimes we receive people that aren't familiar easier than we receive from people that we know. Like, if you think about it, like, like your spouse, for you that are married... There's a good chance that that's the person God wants to teach you and speak to you through the most because he's the person that God put into your life for the most amount of time. And it's very, very possible that inside of them are so many answers that you're seeking for, but so many people don't receive what God has for them to receive because they can't honor their spouse the same way they honor a pastor who comes traveling in from out of town. Because they're familiar because they know them, because they've seen them at their worst, they have a hard time believing that they could be at their best. And sometimes the people around you that you're familiar with make it impossible for you to receive from them because they're just patty. They're just buddy. They're just Leslie. And you know them. And so because you're familiar with them, the same thing that happened to Jesus happens with us. It's like someone says something, and man, that was, that was awesome. But, and then we bring up the reason why it may not be true, because we know this, because we know that, or because they're just this, or because they're just that. And a lack of honor can keep us from receiving the reward of the one that God placed into our life and made us one with. A promise that can do it with other people. And so, sometimes we receive from people that we don't know as well because we don't know much about them. We've made this idea in our mind up of what they're like. And we have this idea in our head of who they are. And it's based on seeing them for a few moments at their very best. And it's easy for us to have a high opinion of them. And it's easy for us to honor them because we've seen them for just a few moments at their very best. 
And so we place honor on them. We place expectation to receive from them. And then guess what happens? Because we honor them and because we have an expectation, we receive. And that perpetuates the myth that we've created in our minds of who this person is. And it's not because there's something wrong with them. And it's not because there's something wrong with us. But what if we were to place the same expectation and honor on people around us that we've seen maybe sometimes not at their best? What if we didn't get so hung up in who people aren't that we couldn't see them for who they are? See, if we're not careful, we'll fall into this thing where we judge ourselves by a lifetime of living in love and we judge other people by a moment of walking outside of love. We will judge ourselves and we we will see ourselves through a lifetime of the good things that we've done and we'll see other people through a minute of something bad that they've done. And that's how we'll form our opinion of them. And the more you know somebody, the more familiar you are with somebody, the easier it is for you to do that and the easier it is for you to close off being able to receive because of who they are and what they've done. Sometimes we can't receive. Can I just tell you this? Like, the easiest relationship in the world, the easiest one there is, is the one where there's nothing beyond the point of contact where you meet someone, they speak something into your life. You meet someone, they pray. You meet someone, you pray. That's the easiest relationship there is in the world. That's the easiest place to put honor because there's no expectation. There's no relationship. You never have to walk through anything hard together. And all you have to do is just be awesome for a moment. Those are the easiest relationships for us to honor. But you know what? Sometimes those are the shallowest relationships because there's no depth there. I want relationships that have history. I want relationships, I want to be able to honor people that I know all about them. Because I choose to see them for who they are, not for who they were. Listen, if God doesn't think it's worth seeing you for the old man, then I should probably think it's not worth seeing you for the old man either. But sometimes we can't get past that. Our families sometimes will have the hardest time accepting that we really have changed and honoring us for who we've become because they know who we were. Sometimes it's the people that are closest to us that have the hardest time to place any honor on us. Because they feel like they know the real us. And their opinion is made up of so many things that have nothing to do with who God says the real us are. And then anytime you make a mistake, anytime you do something wrong, they go, see? And it reinforces their opinion of you and it closes them off even further from receiving from you because they can't honor you for who you are because they can't get past who you were. And you could do a million things right, but the one thing you do wrong reinforces the negative opinion that they have of you. He really hasn't changed. She really hasn't changed. What if they have? What if now the things that the mistakes that they make are as few and far between as the good things they used to do when they were living selfishly? And see, that's the problem. If we're not looking through the eyes of God, we'll, we'll see things negatively and critically. And a critical spirit will come upon us and we'll see people always with a negative bend. So when you were living your life selfishly, it didn't matter if you did a good thing every now and then. You were looked at for the whole of your work. You were looked at for, for everything that you did wrong. But the second you start living unselfishly and lovingly, the second you do something selfish, then all of a sudden it's, see, you haven't changed. Well, then, if that's the case, why then, when I was living my life selfishly and I did something right, didn't you grab me and drag me and say, wow, you've changed? 
Because outside of walking in the nature of Christ, we are drawn to be critical, we're drawn to be negative, and we're drawn to make judgments based on sin rather than making righteous judgments based on truth. Have you ever had somebody, when you were living in a bad place in your life and you did one, some, something right one time, grab you and say, oh, I knew you were going to change. This is awesome. I knew you weren't going to be that person forever. I am so glad to see that you're a new person. I'm so glad to see that everything has passed. Behold, all things have become new. This is awesome. I can't wait till the rest of the world gets to meet the new you, the changed you. No. Never happened. Never happened to me. It was, if anybody noticed the good thing I did, it was a shock to them and they couldn't wait for me to go back to being who I was because they were more comfortable with me being who I was. And I'm telling you this sometimes, sometimes people who are close to you, friends and family, are more comfortable with you being who you were because if you never change, it never challenges them to change. And so they're looking for you to mess up and do something wrong so that they can justify and say, see, it's not real. I knew it. I knew that they were still over here with me. They're trying to act like they're over there, like you've really changed and all things have become new. And you know the truth of the matter is you've never told them I'm over here and you're over there. They've told themselves that because they've judged the fruit of your life and they feel inferior. And that's not your fault. If your life convicts people, it's not your fault. If you challenge people, it's not your fault. If you've changed and people can't accept it, it's not your fault. But sometimes people are way more comfortable with the old you And so they're waiting for you to do something that the old you would have done so that they can say, oh, see, he really hasn't changed. I was getting worried there for a minute. They won't say this with their mouth, but what they're really thinking is, I was getting worried there for a minute because if they actually kept living like that, it meant that they really had changed and then I'd have to take stock of my own life and ask myself why I haven't. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes they'd just rather you be the old person. They can't honor the new person because they don't want to. It's a choice they're making. Don't let that change you. Don't let that affect you. You just keep living and shining. Someday, sooner or later, if you do it long enough, they'll actually come and say, why, you really have changed. Yeah, I've been telling you that for 12 years now. But I every now and then acted like I used to act and you were so hung up on those things that you couldn't even see all the times that I really had changed. You were so busy seeing me as the carpenter's son. You were so busy seeing me as Judas's brother. You were so busy seeing me as Mary's son that you couldn't even tell that I actually was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that I was here to set you free. I was here to heal your sick and cast out your demons and raise your dead. I was here to set free the captives and I was here to bind up the brokenhearted among you. I was here to do all those things. I stood in the temple and I declared it. And yet because you couldn't see me as that and you could only see me as who I was, you only received from me based on who I was. So if you needed a chair fixed, you would have found me and had me do it. But if you needed a heart fixed, you wouldn't have found me because you didn't believe that I was capable because all I was to you was a carpenter. Think about it. Think about the silliness of dragging a cup with a crack in it to the one who can fix the crack in the heart and leaving with only your cup fixed when your heart was what it wanted to mend in the first place, but you wouldn't let him. 
because that's what happened. They only received from him who they believed him to be, who they honored him to be, and how they received him. Here's a big one. And I think this one keeps a lot of us from receiving, and I think it's with a good heart, and I think it, there's some truths that are hidden in there that we'll talk about that perpetuate this, but a big one that I've seen that keeps people from receiving from each other is you haven't been through what I've been through. You haven't been through what I've been through, so you can't speak into my life in this area. I have to find somebody who's actually walked through what I'm walking through, or otherwise I cannot receive the truth that's being spoken. What a lie. What an absolute lie. Because if that's true, then that means that Jesus would have had no authority to speak into anybody's situation. Because Jesus never found himself in so many of the situations that people who needed to be set free found themselves in. If that's true, then what we're saying is is that the way to get authority sometimes is to leave the will of God to go and get it. And then unless you leave his will, fall into sin, suffer the consequences, and then walk out of it, that you have no way to speak to somebody who's in that sin. Are you kidding me? Your authority does not come from, who, from what you've been through. Your authority comes from who you are, whose you are, and where you are. Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And if we won't receive from somebody just because we don't believe that they've been through what we've been through, then what we're saying is, I don't value the Word of God as much as I value someone's experience. And if you can't tie an experience to the Word of God that you're teaching me, then I can't receive from you, and I won't believe you. I've sat in counseling sessions with people, you guys, sometimes, who looked at me, and when I'm speaking, the truth that would set them free, that comes straight from the Father's heart, and I've had people look at me and say, well, you don't know what it's like. From something that I actually do know what it's like, I just haven't chose to make that story part of something that I tell everybody because sometimes you, ra- you give a testimony of something and sometimes you let love cover a multitude of sin. And so just because every single thing that I've walked through isn't public knowledge doesn't mean that you can't receive from me. And if I would open my mouth and say, I actually do know what you're going through. I know exactly what you're going through because, and I spit out my story, and then all of a sudden you could receive, then you honor a person's experience above the Word of God. And you're missing out on receiving. Listen to me. A lot of times the best person to learn from isn't the one who knows to get, how the best way to get mud out of a robe. It's the one who knows the road to walk that keeps your mud robe from getting muddy to begin with. Seriously, maybe we need to start listening to people who don't have our story because maybe there's a reason they don't have our story. Because they actually know how to walk in a way with God because they have revelation in something that kept them from knowing the best way to climb out of the pit because they've never been in the pit to begin with. If we'll only receive from people who have been down in the pit how to get out, and we won't receive from people who said, you know what, I've actually never been in that pit. I've actually never had a time where I had to be rescued from that. We should have a lot of testimony in the church, you guys, but not always of rescue. For every one testimony of rescue, there should be 30 testimonies of not needing to be rescued because of walking in truth. I was speaking one time to a group of youth, and one of them came up to me and they said, I don't have a testimony and I looked at her and said, are you born again? She said, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been born again. She, I think she's 16, 17 years old. She said, I've been born again my whole life. 
I was raised in a Christian home. I've, I've loved God since I knew Him. Like, since I was a little girl, I, I, like, knew that He was real and that He sent His Son to die for me, and I've loved Him. But I never got into any of that stuff that you were talking about. Because a lot of times when I talk to youth, I share my story because here's the point. Not because it makes it more powerful when there's an experience attached to it, but because there's a lack of honor in our culture for people unless we know that they've had an experience and they're speaking from experience. And I believe that's a lot of times what shut down people receiving from Jesus because they would look at him and say, how dare you talk to me about how to treat my husband when you're not even married? Can you imagine the arrogance of looking at him and saying, looking at Jesus and saying, well, I hear what you're saying, but I won't believe you because you don't have an experience to match it up. Maybe he actually had an experience to back it up, and maybe it was because he had that experience. He didn't have a story of being rescued because he actually walked with the Father and didn't need to be rescued. And if you'd walk with him, you wouldn't find yourself in the pit. Those are the testimonies I want. I looked at that little girl and I said, so what do you mean you don't have a testimony? That's the most awesome testimony in the world. That's like the most amazing thing ever is that you've walked with God since you were a little girl and you've kept yourself pure and you haven't given yourself to all these things. And she wasn't saying like in a self-righteous bragging way. She was really distraught. She was like, man, I just wish I had a story like yours. And I said, you listen to me. You have the story I want my kids to have. You have an amazing story. And if, if, if it takes you going out and sinning to feel like you have something that's worth sharing to people, something is wrong. And it's not with you, it's with the way that we honor and receive people. Because we've set this thing up where when somebody can say, well, I was a drug addict and then God. Well, okay, that's awesome. And I believe if you have a story, share it with people because they will receive it better when it comes from somebody who's walked through what they've walked through sometimes. But not because that's the way it's supposed to be. It's because we have a lack of honor for people. We look at people and say, well, you don't know what I've been through. What does that matter? You've got the words of life. The gospel's the answer, whether I've walked through it or not. Maybe the reason I haven't been through it is because I have a revelation that kept me from having to walk through it. And maybe if you would listen to what I'm telling you, it'd be the last time you had to listen to somebody tell you how to be rescued. And you'd actually know a way to walk where you don't have to be rescued from that same pit over and over again. Your authority doesn't come because you've been through something. Your authority comes because you're born again and you're in Christ and all authority belongs to Him in heaven and on earth. Yeah, you, you know, sometimes we have a heart for people who have been through what we've been through. And that's awesome. And I believe people are called to minister to people who have been through what they've been through because they have a heart for them, because you understand why they got there and all that stuff. But I'm telling you this, if somebody is speaking the truth, if they're speaking Jesus, if they're telling you the truth and their motivation is love and they love you, it does not matter what they have or haven't been through. That truth can set you free if you will receive from them and honor them and honor the Word of God more than you honor what somebody has been through. Otherwise, you've reduced yourself to only receiving from people who have made the same mistakes that you have. That's all well and good, but what about for our kids? I want to believe that there's a way that my kids can walk that they don't have to make the same mistakes that I made to learn the lessons I've learned to be where I am with Christ. 
I want to believe that my kids can actually hear what I've done wrong and learn a different way, or they can hear from somebody who never did it wrong and tell them how to do it right and not look at them and say, well, you don't know what it's like. I don't, and you don't have to either. And let me tell you how. I'm serious. I have sat counseling people, speaking truth that if they would believe it, receive it, and actually apply it to their lives, it would legitimately set them free. And it's something I know because I've seen it in my own life and it's set me free in my own life. And they look across the table at me and say, well, that sounds good, but you don't understand what it's like. So I'm going to talk to so-and-so because they've actually been through it. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, man, if I have to tell you that I've been through it for you to respect and receive the words that I'm speaking, what are you putting your faith in? All right. <laughs> The last one is sometimes people don't act honorably. Sometimes we see them act less than honorably. And we allow that to be the way that we see them forever. Rather than allowing ourselves to believe that they're better than that and they're more than that. Open your Bibles up real quickly, or turn your Bibles real quick to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Verse 9. You guys okay? Yeah? Alright. The truth will set you free. All that's required for you to have authority is that you actually believe what you're saying. I believe that the Word of God is true and it doesn't matter if I've experienced it in my life or not. It's why I can sit here and declare things that I haven't experienced yet because I believe if He said it, it's true. That's it. That's how you speak the truth in love. Jesus said who is he that loves me? He that keeps my commands. What is his command? Trust and obey. It always has been since the beginning. If I trust him and I'm being obedient to him, I'm walking in love and I can share with you things. And there's authority on them and there's truth on them because he's on them. And all authority belongs to him. And then he gave me his name. He said, now you go. Baptizing, make disciples in my name. Go in my name. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. Now you go in my name and I'll always be with you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, what's he saying? He's saying every bit of authority in heaven and earth that, it, that ever has been, ever will be, is now mine. And now you go in my name and make disciples and I will always be with you. So who has authority? The one who's walking with Jesus the one who's in Christ and who understands that they're in Christ and that their authority comes from who they are in Him, not where they've been or haven't in life. You guys there? First Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. 
And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicated drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaining grief, I've spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. So Hannah is sad. She's grief-stricken. She has not had a child. She wants to have a child. And she goes to the temple, and she's praying and only her lips are moving, and she looks sad. She might have been crying. She, she looks, you know, like, like someone who's really sad does, and her lips are moving. And Eli the priest is sitting up on his seat, and he looks down and he sees her, and he makes a judgment about her that's not right, and he thinks she's drunk. But if, even more than that, he voices that to her and says, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away. Now, in this moment, Hannah faces a choice. She can honor a prophet in the name of a prophet or she can respond out of hurt and anger because he's wrong and falsely accused her. We have a hard time when people accuse us of something we've really done. Never mind something we haven't. She's innocent in this. In fact, she's actually praying and pouring her heart out before the Lord. It would have been real easy for Hannah to look at him and be like some prophet you are. I'm here praying. I'm pouring my heart out before God. I just made an oath to him that if he would give me a son, I would dedicate my son to serve him all the days of his life. And you don't even know it, and you're up there and you accuse me of being drunk. Who are you to make an accusation like that about me? You know the crazy thing is? The son she was praying for would be the son who would serve Eli. But his mom honored him first. And she honors him and she says, Oh no. I'm not drunk. I haven't even drank any wine or any intoxicating drink. What's she saying? It's impossible for me to be drunk right now. That's not what's going on. She said, I've just been speaking up till right now out of the sorrow of my heart. I have a broken heart. I don't have a child. What does she do? She tells him the truth, but she honors him. What does she call him? She says, my Lord. Why? Why? Because she believes that he's worthy of honor because of who he is, not because of the one thing that he did wrong in a moment. She refuses to see him for the one judgment error that she saw him make and, and refuses to not honor him for who he is. We've got to be really careful, you guys, that we don't see someone at their worst and judge them as that's who they are and for the rest of our lives close ourselves off from receiving from them because we saw them that one time at their worst. Because that one time they didn't see us for who we were and we allowed that to keep us from seeing them for who they are. Because that's what happened in that moment. 
Eli didn't see Hannah for the godly woman that she was. He saw her as a drunk. And the temptation of the enemy would have been to allow what was done to her to be reproduced inside of her and for her to refuse to see him for who he was in return. She didn't. Instead, she dishonors him. She says, I'm I'm a sorrowful woman. I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant. She says, don't consider, I'm just going to close with this. Listen, you guys. She says, don't consider your maidservant. She lowers herself to a position of exalting him when he is in the middle of making a false accusation against her and accusing her of something that isn't true. Kind of reminds me of this guy named Jesus. Reminds me of this guy named Jesus who was with his disciples and says, and Satan had already entered into the heart of Judas. He sees and knows that Judas doesn't see him as the Messiah, that Judas doesn't believe all, that he is who he said he is, and that Judas is not receiving him as the chosen Christ. He knows that. And he gets down on his knees and he washes Judas' feet. Why? Because Jesus wasn't going to allow the thing that was done to him to be done to another through him. Think about it. He goes to his hometown. His own brothers are there. His family's there. His family. His brothers. The ones closest to him. What was it? It's the enemy trying his best to get Jesus to sin. He'll try it with the people closest to you if they'll listen. He says his own brothers, his family's there, and and they're saying to Jesus, oh, wait a minute. You're just the carpenter's son. You're Judas's brother. You're Mary's son. You're Joseph's son. Go fix our table. You mended our chairs. You can't mend our hearts. You bound up my table How can you bind up sin? That was done to him. What did Jesus do? He simply was Jesus. And, and it says, and he could do no mighty miracle except that he laid his hands upon a few sick and they recovered. Why did that happen? I believe this is why. Because I think there were a few there who actually saw him for who he was, honored him for who he was, and approached him and said, have mercy on me, son of David. And them honoring him released him to be who he'd been for everybody else. But the corporate anointing wasn't there for the crowds because the crowds didn't receive him for who he really was. And now here's the temptation for him to respond in the same way that he was responded to. He could look at Judas and he could see Judas for that fault. He could see Judas for that not seeing him for who he was. He could see Judas for selling him for 30 pieces of silver. He could see Judas for selling him out. And instead, he gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of the man who would hand him over to be killed. Why? Because he's never going to allow what was done to him to be reproduced in him. And Hannah's an amazing example of that. She doesn't allow the fact that Eli doesn't see her for who she is, allow her to see him for less than who he is. 
What if we did that? What if we did that? What if we didn't allow people not seeing us for who we are to make us not see them for who they are? What if we were okay? What if we honored people? Chose to see them as the Father sees them. doesn't mean we ignore stuff going on. Listen, it says if you see your brother in sin, you go and confront your brother. So honor and confrontation are not opposed to each other. In fact, the most honorable thing that I can do if I see you living less than Jesus died on a cross for you to live is to actually come and confront you about it. Why? Because I believe you're better than that. Otherwise, I just leave you alone because that's just who you are. But if I believe better, then I have to come and say something to you. Not because your sin has changed my mind about you, but because the truth doesn't change. And when you sin, I don't change my mind about you. I try to change your mind because there's something you're not seeing. And because my mind's not changed, I actually can speak to you in love because I believe that you're more than, that you're better than, and that you're capable. God, I just thank you. I thank you for allowing us to be a family, God, that that actually can receive from one another, that can receive from the the reward that that each of us carry because of us seeking you. God, that we would honor each other the way that you see us. That we wouldn't live our lives with a lot of the answers to the problems in our lives, living in people around us and unable to see them because they're familiar or because we know something about who they used to be or because we've seen them for a moment act like who they used to be. But God, that we would always continue to see people the way that you see them. That we would ask you for your eyes, God. God, who do you see them? How did you create them, God? Who are they meant to be? And then we will treat them and speak to them that way. Listen, guys, listen to me. I'm telling you, the most honorable thing, the most honoring thing that you can do is if you see someone living less than Jesus died on a cross for them to live and acting outside of the nature and character of Christ that is in them, is to go to them and say, hey, what are you doing? That's what Paul did. He said, why are you guys acting like mere humans? There's envy and bitterness and strife among you. You're acting like, what's he saying? He's saying, you guys are acting like you were before you became a new creation. That's not who you are. He refuses to see them as who they used to be because if he sees them for who they used to be, then there's nothing to correct. That's just who they are. But he refuses to let what they're doing change the way that he sees them. In fact, he continues to see them for who they are in Christ. And that's the whole reason he can actually go to them and confront them because he firmly believes that's not who they are he firmly believes they're more than that he firmly believes that they've been changed and bought with a price and they're selling themselves cheap so he goes to them god i just ask that we would have that heart that we would see each other the way you see us in in all ways god that we would honor each other god not with our lips only but with our lives And I just pray that as we do this, that we will receive the reward that each of us carries. I ask that we never let treasure sit next to us and die next to us because we were incapable of seeing who people were and receiving what they carried. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.